Yeah. What do you think of the Speedway? As you said at the start of the podcast, the, the tie situation here, how's that going to work out for the season? Because obviously there's a lot of cars wanting to race. So are you guys having to actually tie and manage per meet? How's that How's it all working out? At this point, yeah. So it's a, it's a pretty big concern. Um, mm. I think the biggest worry is heading into Christmas time when there is a lot of racing on. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a worry that there's going to be a lot of cars wanting tyres and a lot of races. And, and generally that time of year, the tracks are harder on tyres because the tracks are drier. So really our, our tyre management deal is just, we're just getting everything out of the tyres we've got because, well, as I say, we just can't get any more. So with sprint cars, you know, I guess in road racing, in some cases, and I might be wrong, but you could kind of almost pre-plan how many tyres you're going to use, you know? You know mm. you've got one set for the weekend or another set to practice on or whatever, and you know that set of tyres will get you through the weekend, but you're going to need a new set for the week after. Whereas a Speedway, you can go race at Eastern Creek on this Saturday mm. and you'll put a brand new tyre on and you'll finish the whole night and the tyre still looks brand new. Yeah. You go back there the next week, you go out and qualify and destroy it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it. It can be so one side of the spectrum to the other, like as far as how the tyre wear is, um, that... It only takes a few races here or there where it's bad on tyres and all of a sudden the tyre supply is extremely We would like to thank our major sponsor, Thrifty Car Rental. If you're looking for a great deal on your next car rental for an upcoming trip, check out their website for the latest offers. You can find all the links in our show notes. G'day, I'm Dan Hooley Hollihan, and welcome to my motorsports podcast up on the Couch with Hooley Season 2, which is more than just a motorsports podcast. My guests are from all sides of the track, eras and personalities. You'll meet some who have spent their careers chasing the dream to those who have only just touched on it and went on to aspiring journeys. We learn their stories beyond the helmet. On today's episode, we've got sprint car racer Sammy Walsh, a privateer who's grown up in the speedway scene his entire life. Sam's father, John Walsh, is a Hall of Famer in the Australian sprint car scene, having also raced overseas in the United States. Sam is yet to compete in the US, but in the meantime remains one of the best sprint car racers in Australia. He is known for having the fastest ever lap around Parramatta Speedway, having won the local track championship at the same venue in 2019. Anyway, that's enough from me, so let's hear it from the man himself, Sam Walsh. Oh, sweet. That's cool. <laughs> That'll, that'll be well, I feel awkward if I don't. Everyone else is wearing headphones and the only one that's not. <laughs> I feel funny now because I can hear myself speaking. <laughs> is, it feel- too, is it too loud or? No, it's all good. It's all good, yeah. Or maybe I'm too loud. No, 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 no. If you feel, if you, it doesn't feel no, but too I mean loud. like I'm too loud in my own ears. Oh, no, that's actually good. I is like it? it like that. Yeah, right. No, no, yeah. if you want me to turn your ears down, you're number two. How does that sound? Is that better? Yeah, that's better. That's uh, better. Yeah, that is better. You're yeah. like me. He's, he's deaf. I keep telling him. It's from the racing you get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're yeah. like, what? what? Yeah. 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 Just uh, cool. yeah, it's hard on the ears. Yeah, cool. All right. I guess we'll start it, eh? Oh, Sam, are you comfy? Yeah. Yeah, the couch is good. Well, couch the couch is good. Is good. That's, that's, that's the main thing. <laughs> yeah. That's the main thing. I've got to ask, man, because you've driven, driven all the way from essentially um, Orangeville. Yeah. Um, how, how was the trip here at night? They're going um, the other way around. It's not too bad. Like, obviously, you head north on the M5. Well, I came from Ingleburn. So mm. um, you head north on the M5. You're kind of going against the traffic. So it's not so bad. Mm. But there was a crash. I don't know, this side of the airport somewhere. I guess at some point in the day, because I didn't see the crash when I was driving past. But obviously, there was still um, traffic caused yeah. by it. So, yeah, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't yeah. too bad. 
Yeah. And what about, obviously, how's your family going? Because we were talking off air that, you know, I used to race Meredith and we come from the karting background and yeah. how's she and the kids going? Yeah, good. Yeah, really good. Yeah, the kids just keep growing, you know, the, the unbelievable. I, mean, I know it sounds cliche, but everybody says they grow up so fast and they do. They do. They just had their seventh and fifth birthdays. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I mean, the little one's going to go to school here in a few months and, and uh, yeah, mate, just doesn't stop. Yeah. One of them's into, like, one of them is, or I've heard from Mono, one of them is keen to be, like, the next motocross champion. What's what's the kid's name? Ricky Ricky and Harry. So Ricky's a little bit older. He's he's seven. Um, yeah. He's he's definitely got a little bit more of a competitive streak in him as far as, um, as far as racing is concerned. Harry... Although he says he's keen and he and he likes it all, you know, you take him bike riding and he'd rather play in the dirt with his toys, you know. So yeah. um, I think in years to come, oh, look, it, it might change, I don't know. But, I mean, at this point in time, it, it seems like he'll be the one to sort of just fall off and, and, and maybe do other things. I, I don't, really don't know. I guess when they're young, you really can't preempt what they're going to do or what, what they want to do, but yeah. just see what pans out. Yeah, and have you, haven't you got like a huge bike track at the back? Is it, is it the bike track at the back of your place, or is it somewhere else? No, it's at home. It's it's not that huge. We've got we've got like five acres, and the back sort of there's a paddock at the back that's like a maybe a little over an acre or so, and it's quite up and down. So yeah. it kind of just lends itself to being a, a pretty nice little natural terrain motocross track, especially for little bikes. Like on a big bike, it's not that crazy but on a little bike for a little kid it'd be excellent yeah, yeah <laughs> i yeah. wish i had it yeah. <laughs> didn't you want to be a motocross ro- actually, i should put my glasses on because i feel a bit uncomfortable sorry about that didn't you want to be a motocross rider before being into sprint cars or something were you more well, leaning towards that direction when you were i was young? always into sprint cars because they were around you know i grew up around them but i was always heavily keen on on dirt bikes motocross and I, as, as a child i mean i had dirt bikes before I had go-karts and um, yeah, I really wanted to go motocross racing and it just happened to be that I got a go-kart instead and, and it sort of got pushed that way. And yeah, here I am. I suppose. look, realistically, I, I think given my height, if nothing else, probably bikes would have been a little bit out of the question, at least to be at the elite level, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think I, there's a good chance regardless of what I did as a kid, I think I probably would have ended up in, ended up in sprint cards anyway, you know? Yeah. Why is that though? Like obviously Brooke and I have talked about motocross guys because we've had one guy here. What's the difference of like saying, you're saying heights, the height thing doesn't work for being a motocross rider. Why is that? Is it just because? Yeah. I'm, I probably get away with a little bit because I'm tall and skinny, but yeah. um, in some cases I know a lot of guys will say that heights, height's actually a good thing because you can use your, your leverage of the, the length of your body basically. But Typically, when you look at the best guys, they're all not not short as such, but tend to be shorter at least. Yeah, I don't know. I, like I say, I, I'm not a great rider by any means, but I, would I have liked to have gone down that track? Yeah, at the time for sure. And and still, I, I really enjoy them and I, I do have a passion for them. But um, like I say, I think sprint cars, I mean, I like sprint cars a lot. Obviously, I love them. Mm. They've been basically my life. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I like dirt bikes probably almost as much. Yeah. Yeah, and you when you were, you were talking about your karting thing, do you remember? You, do you remember your first go kart, your first experience at the track? What yeah, it looked like so you know, I had a couple of goes here and there in karts. Um, I guess, I suppose, realistically, not unbeknownst to me, at least, I had a couple of goes in different people's go karts, and I suppose they were. It was probably more so my dad or someone pushing to say, "Hey, is he actually going to enjoy this?" Yeah. Um. So they let me have a go, and and look, who who as a kid 
that's in a car racing who doesn't or, or bikes or whatever it is yeah. who, who isn't going to enjoy driving a go-kart around. So um, I think it was – I don't know where it all sort of stemmed from, but I did have a couple of goes prior to owning my own one and naturally enjoyed it. And when, when it first came about, I so saw my first kart – I was 11. I got it on my 11th birthday and it was actually given to me by my grandmother yeah, who, right. um, who's always been an avid supporter of basically whatever I do naturally, but yeah. um, especially my racing stuff because she was always involved in it too with my dad racing and all that kind of thing. And, and when my dad raced typically or for a lot of years, it was a family owned car by my grandfather and my grandmother. So, so she'd sort of been around it anyway. Mm. And I think, um, I think she sort of wanted to, yeah push me into the limelight, I guess, in some ways. Yeah. Was it, was it like the, well, I remember racing you in North Shore Kart Club days. You had the orange go-kart. Did, did you have a kart before that though? Was it like an arrow um, or a CRG? Or so anything? I only ever had CRGs uh, yeah. or Carly's. I guess the first kart I had was a, had was a Carly and um, I, I think Carly CRG, same sort of thing. Mm. And um, yeah, look, so the whole time I raced go-karts, they were always CRGs. We sort of got affiliated with CRG and, and uh, I guess nowadays more so, it's called St. George Car yeah. Center. Um, Chris Dell. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. Chris or, or even in, in them days it was Peter. Um, yeah, right. Obviously Chris was around, but he wasn't in the business as such. So between uh, Peter and and particularly Ken Schroeder, we were always, I, I suppose at the time, they so they had St. George Carts, which was their wholesale department, and then they had the CRG Cart Center, which was a retail store in Chipping Norton, and we lived in Chipping Norton. So I suppose that was probably where the, the easy path to go as far as just close in proximity and, and so forth. So that's where it all kind of started. And, and like I say, we kind of were always affiliated with them the whole way through. So naturally going through the ranks of carts and, and growing up, you go through multiple go-karts. So all, all the carts I had over the years were CRGs. So, um, yeah, it was probably look, a good thing and, and maybe a bad thing that I'd never got to try much else. But um, but they, they honestly – realistically my karting career without them probably would have been a lot less fruitful. And you obviously hang out now these, as I've seen on Instagram, all you boys and girls all hang out together as a group. You you pretty much all hanged out as juniors together, didn't you? Yeah. So pretty well our whole group of friends is the Sydney Carters of that age of that era. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. which is pretty cool. Like, honestly, you, you look back on it and, and think like, well, regardless of, of whether, some of them have had any kind of career in motorsports thereafter. If nothing else, we've all made lifelong friends out of it. So it was a cool breeding ground, if nothing else, for friendships, you know what I mean? So um, um, like I say, I mean, yeah, my, my whole group of friends is is basically the the Carters of that era that I grew up with racing with. And I guess obviously we've got a, a, a pretty big interest in, in all things motorsport, like even though maybe not all of them are, are in – or gone on to bigger things or anything like that. Um, we're all still keen on, on car racing bikes and, and different things, whether it's drag racing or, or whatever it yeah. might be, you know, we've all got that interest or, or similar interest, you know? Yeah. Can you name the 10? I've tried to remember all the names. He's got Cheezo. Well, Cheezo's the funny ones. He's actually my mate from school. Yeah, right. Uh, so he was a bit of a ring into the whole clan, but um, he kind of just rode my coattails in there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's funny because he's, he's like the go-karter that never really raced go-karts. Yeah, um, right. But, uh, and, and he, so he's, or his whole family's a, a really good family friend of ours uh, and, and my family. So he and his brother uh, and his brother Craig Cruz for me has done for years. He's keen as to go racing, you know, like he's just 
probably the most supportive out of all of them actually in that way because he's just um he's always happy to go racing wherever it might be like we went to america in 2017 we mm. we sent our stuff over and raced and i said hey you're coming and Sure enough, we get to the first racetrack and there he is waiting for us. So um, Mad. Um, he flew over by himself and, and just hung out with us for a, a, or a week or two and, and come racing, you know. So, um, but yeah, so so the, the Cheezos were kind of not karting based, yeah. but um, but they've obviously well integrated into all the karting fraternity. But yeah, there's there's a bunch of them, like Ryan Bell, uh, Ryan Monaghan. Mono, Mono has some shit. Oh well, yeah, he's always he's always the first to sort of throw punches. Yeah, <laughs> but Belly Belly's obviously been a huge supporter of you too because I remember also doing my research on you the other day. I think you took him out in the two seater at Paramount Speedway a few years ago as well. Yeah, like, yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. So that was that were good times when when you could do that. There was quite a a few people that kind of uh, would request different drivers, I guess, because they obviously had someone that they followed and they wanted them to take him out and and. At the time, Sydney Speedway or Valvoline Raceway, whatever whatever it was called at the time, they were sort of happy to do it. So, um, yeah, it was pretty cool, I guess, for those that wanted someone else or someone in particular. Uh, and obviously, Belly, I mean, we've just been really good mates for probably 25 years now. So it was cool to take him around. And, and obviously, he's always been keen on sprint cars and not a lot of people get the chance to, to jump in one. And often, a lot of people say, hey, I want to drive one. Mm. But until you kind of get a lot of laps and you really don't know or understand what they can do. So you're kind of better off being in a two-seater where you jump in with someone that's got a little bit of experience at least and, and can take you around and and at least show you what the even a two-seater car is capable of, you know? Yeah, yeah. And obviously we're talking about, we're talking about the sprint cars, but back to the go-karting, there was a lot of underrated drivers back then when you were racing and I was racing, like those Christian Limbaugh and guys who never made it, as you said, and guys in your group. Is there any particular driver that you thought, shit, he could have made like the next Jamie Winkup? Do you know what I mean? Even though you were um, racing guys like Jamie back then. So, well, that, that that crowd was a little bit older than me, but I do remember watching them. Naturally, yeah. like like Winkup and Winterbottom and all them guys were sort of that few years in front. I mean, look, the, the main one to me probably, and and I, he – he stopped at my place the other, well, I think on the weekend to have a beer, it was Kyle Clues. Yeah. Um, he was a gun. Yeah. Uh, he was always probably, at least on a, you know, in our own backyard, he was kind of the main one that I always sort of looked at as probably the best guy around, you know. And I think as luck would have it, things went wrong a lot of times at big races for him where he probably would have chalked up some runs on the board as far as carts are concerned. But unfortunately – as much as carts are a great area to to kind of uh, hone your skills and 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 learn to learn your racecraft, the results you gain in go karts really don't get Matt. you anywhere. You know what I mean? Like you, you look at guys uh, like David Serra is probably the best example. Yeah, I mean, if there's anyone based on karting results and resume from karting, if, if they should have been anywhere based on that, it's him. And and I and I don't knock him for his ability. Obviously, all the abilities there. It's just opportunity and and honestly, money. Obviously, is where it where it comes down to and he just hasn't had those but unfortunately as much as karting's great it, it and it teaches you a lot it doesn't always get you the next step yeah and is that why you chose your kid is that why you taught your kids to go to bikes instead just because it's like a less easier less expensive sport but still competitive or did you just um well there's, there's a couple of things i mean bikes at this point in their life, I think are more fun. Mm. You know, you, you can take them to a friend's house, you can go to a property, you can go to multiple different tracks and just go and ride and have fun. They're obviously a little bit more, um, a little bit more accommodating in that fact. Whereas carts, naturally, you need to go to a sealed circuit somewhere to to go and 
do anything basically. But the other thing is obviously karting seems like it's in a fair bit of turmoil at the moment in New South Wales particularly. Yeah. Um, Where there's like five different groups. Yeah, it just it seems crazy. But um, that and just the cost. And, and, and look, the other the, – probably the main thing is carts versus bikes. I still feel like bikes, a better rider will overcome bad equipment. Mm. A lot easier than than you can in carts. Obviously, carts everything everything or and everyone is so close that a driver doesn't make that much of a difference. Whereas bikes still rely on talent and ability and and not as much equipment. So look, I, I think most of the things you learn as a as a youngster in bikes you, will will prepare you for four wheels anyway. Um, and look, I've always sort of thought, you know what, if we play bikes for a few years and he says, hey, I really want to go go karting or something, then we'll do it. But I just thought I'll, I'll hold him out for a few years anyway. Yeah. And you obviously met your wife in go-karts through does – Ferg, yeah. does Ferg and that come over? Is it just Yeah, a- yeah. We see Ferg all the time. So Ferg's a big part of it, especially the kids' lives, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so Meredith and I met realistically to begin with. We met at like 11 or 12 years old at Eastern Creek, you know. Yeah. Um, so obviously years later things change and people grow up and and um, we've we've been on and off together at least. Uh, well, to begin with. Yeah. Um, turbulent through our late teens and 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 early, early 20s 20, yeah. and stuff you know but that's pretty typical i suppose and um and we've been i guess together now for i suppose from the start roughly 15 years but or possibly more than that actually now i think about it i hope she doesn't do that um maybe nearly 20 but now that you know now that we're sort of um uh, grown-ups, I guess yeah. we've been together for maybe 10 or 12 or something years, something she, like that. She was a handy, like, peddler, though. Like, I was saying. She has a go, yeah, 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 she has a go. So that, I guess that's the kids have got a, uh, if nothing else, they've got um, they got that in them where they're going to they're gonna be sort of uh, stand on the gas type type sort of deal. But um, funny story, actually, about Meredith. I mean, she yeah, obviously she could drive and she didn't do a lot of racing and she, she went pretty good but um, mm. um, for how much she did. But we went to a, a, a race meeting at Lithgow one day it was just, for, it was just like a ladies event of some sort. Yeah. And she kept running over this lady and I thought, what the hell are you doing? Like, <laughs> you yeah. keep hitting her. Like, what are you, what are you, what's going on? And uh, we drove home and I think she said, I think I need to get my eyes tested. Yeah. And sure enough, she's been wearing glasses ever since. <laughs> yeah, right. Or, or contacts anyway. Wow. Yeah. You were thinking uh, she had beef with her. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> like, no, am I missing no. something here? I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Like, instead of just running up her ass, why don't you pass her? Yeah. And she's like, I couldn't see her. I'm like, what do you <laughs> mean? She's right in front of you. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, un- unbelievable. Unbelievable. Didn't oh. know she needed glasses until, like, I guess she was probably 19 or 20 at the time. Or yeah. so was I, roughly. But, um, but yeah, so pretty, pretty crazy. But I, I think that was probably the last time I actually drove a two-stroke go-kart. Now I think about it, we went down there and did a practice day the day before. But, um, but yeah, so she she was obviously competitive at times and and did a little bit of racing here and then. Naturally, Ferg did the most of it because he was you know obviously more uh, interested in it than Meredith was. It was probably just a bit of fun for her. But but yeah, we met met go karting and, and like I say, same as all my friends, I've also met my wife through yeah. go karting. So I, I probably owe a lot more to it than I probably realise. You know, yeah, well, Dan was saying to me that she's the one that you know, held he, – he was going for that championship and it was her brother that took it first from him and then Meredith took it from him. Every time I got – every time I was in the top three, yeah. you know, Ferg would give it up and then Meredith came in yeah, and I was yeah, like, yeah. holy shit, yeah. I just can't win a race right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I rated her though. I legit rated her like a Leanne Ferrier type of driver. Yeah, yeah, like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean – Well, now she got oh, eyes tested. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I drive with her every day in a link – well, in a Prado and – I don't know about that, but she uh, no, she does get around it she's pretty good, and she's um, she's not afraid of it. That's the 
probably the biggest thing. And like I say, if nothing else, my boys have got that to sort of to owe to her as, as I guess as well as me to some credit. But yeah, the, the, she's she's always um, she's always keen, always keen to uh, to have have a go, and she's not not scared of it at yeah. all. Did you ever do any CIK kart racing or just, just skip into the club racing before straight into the sprint car scene? Pretty much. I mean, CIK at the time, I guess, was realistically on a, on a decline mm. from its from its heyday, I suppose. Um, I mean, obviously there's I, – honestly, I don't really keep up that much with it now, but there's obviously CIK now to some extent. I really don't know exactly yeah. how it works. But uh, so in the time that I was racing, CIK was kind of in a decline where numbers were dropping. It was just so expensive, you know. Mm. Um we never really went that way. Like as a junior, realistically, we, we mainly ran J's. Mm. Uh, it seemed like that's where the field was at because as, you know, as a 14, 15-year-old kid racing junior clubman at the time, junior clubman was kind of in a bit of a hole because of the tyre contract at the time. No one liked the tyres and, you yeah. know, you had to replace front tyres. Front tyres were wearing out in the space of a club meeting. So pretty much everyone kind of shelved their clubman's to a point, especially in New South Wales. And also at the time was when the ARC water-cooled motors came in and New South Wales, because of its sort of, I guess, low entries and, and just across the board, it kind of fell away from the rest of the country and we were, we were quite behind speed-wise, mm. uh, especially against the Victorians. The Victorians just had everybody covered. And when it came to turning into a senior, CRG again had a bunch of good clubmans that were kind of tied up with Van Shake and Van Shake was kind of almost – you know, at least one of the motors to have at the time. And yeah. so when I went senior, we just went straight to club and light and, and we we're kind of pretty solid straight away. Yeah. Did you only do any clubby pro races though? Like the Brian Fire Memorial type no, of stuff? No, that not really- was kind of quiet um, or at least it, it, I'm trying to think. I'm sure that race was around when I was racing, but it wasn't as much or, or as big a deal as it, it was probably after I stopped. So I, I, I mean, it's hard thinking back, but I, I think there was a maybe one that I do remember that, they had maybe a, a common pro race at Eastern Creek. I don't even know if I, I did swear it. they brought you in because you had just started, or you were sprint car racing anyway. But they wanted to bring the Farleys on to bring you back for like the name no, thing. No, not really. No, no, no. So pretty well. Once I went sprint car racing, I virtually haven't raced a go kart since. I mean, maybe once. I think I did a Premier State. Yeah, I did a Premier State Cup round at Eastern Creek. Like, and it was a one off. I borrowed a go kart. Literally the night before, I drove to Castle to pick up a go kart in in a Ute and, and brought it home because I didn't have any go karts left. I think we must have sold them all, and I must have still had engines because we did run one of my motors. But um, and that was actually the one of a handful of times that I didn't race a CRG. It was a Red Speed. And, yeah, uh, right. Um, I literally borrowed it. Yeah, the Thursday night or Friday night before the race meeting started, and we were we were okay. But just you know, uh, I think I got actually. I think Belly took me out in a heat race, and so I ended up starting down the back. But um, but yeah, so we I didn't do a lot of the club and pro stuff. Unfortunately, we kind of missed a bit of that. And I guess to a point, a lot of that came about because numbers were dropping to a point. You know, yeah. like it wasn't long before I went to club and light that you went to an Eastern Creek club day and there was an A and a B class because they had that many carts for club and light. I suppose on the point where I was jumping to a senior, there was all the all the tag. Class was coming in, you know, you had yeah. all the push button, all the clutch engines that were coming in, and, and naturally a lot of people were going that way because it was just easier. Mm. Um, you know, you didn't need a second person there to push start you down the hill to get you going for a race, you know. Yeah. And naturally it's easier when you spin out too. You can just – or you don't even have to start it. You just take off and go, yeah. back, go back on the track, you know. Yeah, yeah. And obviously for us in that era, we had to learn our lessons for spinning out and not, you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. And I, I guess for you, going back to like, as you said, with the motocross stuff, teaching you about certain things compared to a go-kart, 
obviously Matty Dumsney does bikes too and a few of the other boys and Max himself when he was yeah. racing. Did, does that any of that translate to sprint car racing at all or not really? It's probably, as far as four wheels are concerned, it's probably the closest thing, maybe apart from obviously like rally and stuff um, because you've got you've to read the track. The track's evolving all the time. Whereas, you know, obviously road racing, the track evolves, but not at as great a rate as what it can on dirt, you know. And and with bikes, I think there's uh, there's one one facet that I think relates to sprint car racing, and that is you just got to go. Mm. You know, there's no – don't save your tired, unless you're like an outlaw and, and them guys seem like freaks, you know, they're just aliens. But, yeah. um, you know, they, they can feel so much and know so much just from time in the seat that they can kind of feel a tire get hot. They let it cool down and go again, you know. But realistically, a race might only go for six, eight minutes or something, you know. So you really don't have time to, to stuff around waiting for your tyres to warm up or waiting for the car to come to you. You've got to go and find a part on the racetrack that the car works on and then try and use that to go forward. So like I say, I think the biggest thing that relates is just that you've got to chase it flat out all the time. You know, you just got to keep pushing. And like I say, the track being so variable, uh, you've got to be able to read it and and use multiple different lines to your advantage at any point in time or, or, or at any point on the track, you know? Yeah. And you're chasing the track essentially the whole time because unlike tar racing, the, the track changes that you every hate, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exponentially. You know, like even, you know, the last race we did at Eastern Creek, we uh, we sort of started mid-pack and for the first five laps or so, I thought, oh, gee, I think, I think we're, we're pretty bad here. And then, you know, you kind of clear a couple of cars and change your line and all of a sudden, hey, the car's fantastic. I was just on the wrong part of the racetrack, you know. So it just changes so quickly. And, and you know, like I say, time in the seat's a massive thing for any sport, but um, particularly sprint car racing because you just got to be up with keeping your mind on on where the track's going and how to read it and, and, and when to make the right moves, you know. So And it's not just in traffic. It's just literally on the racetrack itself. Yeah. And obviously, with Eastern Creek being a lot quicker than, oh, uh, oh yeah, it is technically quicker than Parramatta. Yeah. They, tr- they tried to design it from what I've heard. They originally the design was meant to go from Parramatta to Eastern Creek, and then the government got involved, and then so on. How it's gone the way it is now, but it's a like it's an eleven second track already, and it's got more pace in it, hasn't it? I don't know. I mean, so I guess we've, we're. I think the. I don't know if it's the fastest time this season or not, but we did like an 11.5 there a few weeks ago, and I guess that's about as fast as anyone's gone there this season. Yeah. Um, I think the track record at this point is like 11.1 or 2. So it's already like two or three tenths or three or four tenths faster than Parramatta was. And obviously Parramatta, you know, cars are time trolling on it every second week, so there's plenty of opportunities to break the track record. This new track's obviously only had a few races. So, look, I, I dare say the time will pop possibly drop, but I don't know how much faster it'll go because it, as much as they tried to model it off Parramatta, it's really nothing like it. As mm. far as maybe the only thing that might be the same is the fact that it possibly measures 460 metres on the pole line. Yeah. Apart from that, it, it's a totally different racetrack. It's it's a lot rounder. I don't know if it's shorter in the straights, but the size of the corners at least makes it feel shorter in the straights because it's got long open corners. The corner speed's not a lot slower than the straightaway speed, so you feel like you're kind of just sitting on the same speed the whole way around, which is good and bad. I mean, it doesn't lend itself to great racing possibly unless the track's perfect because it's not exceptionally technical. You know, pretty much you get out there, hold your foot down and and hang on and just let the car flow and, and you should be able to go pretty fast. Whereas Parramatta, as much as a lot of people probably harp on how great it was, 
just its its layout was virtually perfect for a sprint car track, especially of its size because it, it was very t- technical. Typically, like you had a – it always offered an outside line, an inside line, possibly grooves through the middle of the racetrack, and there was always options and things to, to possibly choose from. So this place, so far at least, it's generally been – or lent itself to the inside because it's so round. Everyone tends to flow the straights out into a big arc mm. and it just becomes a big circle. So to make the outside work, the inside's got to slow down a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and to carry that speed on the outside, you kind of kind of got to have a, a good car underneath you so you feel confident enough to to do it and um, and you've got to hope that the racetrack's there for you when you get there. And what's it like teaching a tar racer like you do you, is he your boss, Brett, or is he? Is yeah, I guess at this point he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So What's obviously it? another Carter from years ago, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's hard because the habits you learn your whole life, road racing, you almost throw them out the window. Yeah, and um, and that's where I say, like, I think the whole dirt bike thing at this point, for a young kid, it really doesn't matter. You know, that all that stuff will translate to whether it's road racing or, or, or speedway racing on four wheels later down the track. But like I say, you come from road racing, you're just so in tune with or it's such a habit that you get to the end of the straight and roll off the throttle. Yeah. You know, there's just there's no corner in the world other than, you know, corners that really aren't corners. Yeah. Um, that you just get to the corner and, and either stand on the throttle harder yeah. or or at least hold it where it was basically, you know. You don't you you just don't do that in any other form of motorsport. And for the cars to work properly, you kind of need to be on the throttle. If you get off the throttle, then they feel really awkward. Yeah. Um, they're, they're really softly sprung, but unless you're on the throttle, it kind of keeps the car planted. But like I say, you get off the throttle and the, the cars sort of stand up. Everything feels like you're on a pogo stick and, and tends to roll over to the right-hand side. And if you roll to the right in a sprint car at the speed you're doing with holes and other cars around you, typically it feels pretty... Um, sketchy. Pretty sketchy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So... Yeah, just the biggest thing is just trying to get anyone that's new to it to try and stay on the throttle because it, it goes against everything you've ever learned. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. That's well, the biggest hurdle. That's what I try to explain with Brooke because I've taken her go-karting and stuff and she actually wants to do that ladies' day, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I learned when I was well, – we were doing electric carts when we say that and I had to learn, uh, especially because it was different, I said, to Dan to like a road car. I, as I figured out with these electrics – it was two problems with them. You actually didn't ever wanted to hit the brake because if once you tapped off the accelerator, it actually naturally slowed itself, which was weird. Yeah, right. It was you would just yeah. not expect that. Um, but then they also, as we learned from the guys, if you were hitting the accelerator too hard for too long, they just sort of cut out on you anyway. Yeah, I right. thought the guys were turning it off on me or something, yeah. and I was like, "What is going on? Like, what? Yeah. I'm losing power here." Yeah. But it sounds like that's similar. And the other question I had for you is then. You know, you're teaching these guys, you said, to just stay on that throttle and go around. Is there a mental side to it as well? Because yeah. you're in a shorter area than, say, the tar races who've got a bigger track to go around and you've just got to keep your mind going around. Is there anything that you guys do different to say because you've been on the tar as well in terms of how you focus around that and just... Not really. The biggest thing the biggest thing in Speedway, typically, especially sprint cars, is just how quick things happen. And as much as... You can drive really fast circuit cars, obviously, and unless it's something like a maybe Formula One or, or something, I, I guess might be similar. But Formula just how, Ford is what I do. <laughs> so, so that's the, I like to hang it on the front. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But just how how quick things come up, you yeah. know, like when you when you're going around a track at say twelve seconds, you know, there's not a lot of time for a break or or or, or a breather or a time to think from getting out of one corner and going to the, and going into the next. So I think that's the big thing that 
coming from a, a large circuit racing background would be hard to handle or, or harder to handle in sprint cars. Obviously, the terminal speed's not there. You're not doing 300 kilometres an hour. Mm. Um, but just physically how quick things are happening, yeah. um, it is mentally draining. And it's just something that I guess any racer can get on top of it. It's just a matter of doing the laps and, and, and becoming comfortable with it. But, yeah, to that point, Mentally, no, there's nothing you can really do to prepare. You've just got to do it. And staying on the throttle and all that sort of stuff, again, it's just doing laps and, and working the car out, obviously getting to the point where you're comfortable in where the car's going to do what it's going to do and, and you can kind of preempt what it's going to do because there's nothing worse than getting to the end of a straight and going, I'm not sure which way this car's going to go. Yeah, And, and then <laughs> someone's telling you, someone's in your ear before the race saying, hey, just when you get there, just stay on it. Don't roll out. Yeah. You know? um, <laughs> And, and you've got this feeling like, I don't know if it's going to make it. But um, so once you, it's like, it's kind of like, I kind of like seeing it as, as falling off a cliff, you know, like you're kind of on the edge of this cliff yeah. and you, you're freaking out. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if, if the car's capable or if I'm capable or whatever. But once you sort of fall off the cliff and you, you, you stay on the floor or, or at least into the throttle, all of a sudden the car works. But then you go, holy crap, why wasn't I doing that before? Yeah. You know, like the car works. Like it feels like a Formula One car now. It feels like an indie car or something, you know. Yeah. Um, before that point, they just feel ugly. Uh, if you're not going fast enough, they just feel ugly. They're, they're not designed to to go under the speed that they're designed to do. Yeah, and you obviously got the – I think it was the fastest lap ever around Parramatta Speedway before it shut too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so we can we can claim that forever now. Yeah, so that's, um, that's in the books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, that – uh, just by chance, we've actually put that motor in for tomorrow night. We had an issue a couple of weeks ago, so um, we've got the we've got the Parramatta's fastest motor in for this weekend. Yeah, right. So uh, we'll see what it can do. But um, um, yeah, so that's pretty cool. Not something I guess I ever really uh, aimed for, or I guess it, you know, it's just one of those things that it's a byproduct of just going out and trying to do the best you can. But we we got it, and, and it kind of it stood for quite a while too. So um, to break it the first time was cool, and then and then we broke it, uh, you know, a few months later again. So yeah. Um, I think for a long time there were probably the maybe the fastest car at Parramatta. Just we didn't always win, you know. Yeah. And that's the hard part. How many club? Or was it club tra- track track championship, club championships? Or how many of them did you win? That Param- did you win a few though? Just the one. Just the one. Just the one. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we we were sort of always around, um, you know, the top five or three or whatever for a, quite a few years there. When you know, basically, ever since the the whole rocket thing started. I mean, prior to that, I'd never actually done a whole season at least to be in the yeah. contention for points, but that was due to budget though, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 And, and look, when we, when we didn't have the budget, we'd always try and hit some of the bigger races and naturally Christmas times always when the bigger races are on and the big money's on. And, and I don't know, looking back on it, I don't, I don't know if that was the best way to go because really you turn up at Christmas time and you haven't had a lot of seat time and all of a sudden they've brought a couple of Yanks over to race against and, and it's pretty tough. But I mean, look, we, we did have some success. We didn't win any races or anything, but you know, we ran pretty solid a few times, but realistically I look back and think maybe we would have been better off doing the club level stuff yeah. as much as it would have been more a big fish in a small pond, possibly. At least we would have had a chance to be in the limelight and, and then maybe from that you get a bit more support and, and run the big stuff anyway, you know? Yeah. So we won one track championship and, um, and it was, tight like when i say tight it was like two points which was in the yeah, way they was did in the it? that was a far Robbie and, far yeah, yeah he was he was the guy to beat i mean as, as i said before we, we were possibly the fastest car there regularly but um robbie was the man to beat you know like as far as an outfit's concerned and, a, and an experienced 
driver and and excellent outfit and team, mm. um, they were just the whole package. So they were always going to be tough to beat, whether they quick timed or or not. You know, like they're always going to be there at the end. Yeah, and he was with like essentially a professional team where you're like a privateer coming with Rocket backing that year, and you had to put everything into it to win that championship, didn't you? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. I and mean, just stay consistent. You you do everything you can naturally to do the best you can, obviously, and obviously everyone does that. And, and look, Robert and the East Coast Pipeline team, like I said, are, are, and, and that team still is one of the best outfits in the country, and Robert's still one of the best drivers in the country, obviously, but they're, they're always going to be really tough to beat. We just had to be consistent and, and finish races and, and do the best we could, really. I mean, obviously, like I say, we had a really good package. It was just a matter of, yeah, putting putting every night together. Yeah, and I remember when I was watching you, obviously from carts on the hill and stuff like that, I remember meeting your first sponsor, essentially Flack Earth Moving. Oh, yeah. Yeah, on the hill, and he told me that he sponsored you and stuff yeah. like that. And I remember, obviously, JV rang me the other day as well, saying, like, you guys started, you and your dad. Obviously, your dad had raced. We'll talk about him soon. But yeah. your dad and yourself started with, like, basically just an off-the-trailer, open trailer, put the car off. And you two, you and your dad would literally just be, like, kind of unnoticed but still quick and just doing your own thing. And then you'd build up from one sponsor and then you got to – can you tell me about like your time where you were pretty much unsponsored to getting the first Fleck Earth Moving deal? Yeah, so uh, obviously, yeah, coming from carts, like I, I went uh, carts to, to sprint cars essentially, and it was all you know, like everything. It's just circumstantial. I mean, my uncle, who's also been involved in, in sprint car racing, Peter Johnson, for a long time. At the time, the World of Outlaws Down Under events were on and mm. there was a lot of secondhand World of Outlaw equipment being shipped out and, and available. So he sort of said, well, hey, to my dad, if you go buy a car, I'm going to buy this other deal out and you can run one of the motors. So that's how it sort of began. And like you said, we, we didn't have a lot of money naturally and, and I certainly didn't have any. I was still at school at the time. So we went racing and, and went pretty good, really pretty quick. Just unfortunately, you know, it's, a, it's an expensive sport and, you know, you blow motors and, and not so much crash gear. We didn't didn't tear up a lot of stuff, but just motors were the big thing and they still are the most expensive part of the sport other than maybe tyres if you can get them, which is a bit of a sore point at the moment. It's just hard to get sprint car tyres. But, yeah, engines are really expensive and, and obviously to have good ones uh, and keep them up to date and well-maintained is, is, you know, it's an expensive sort of venture. So, yeah, look, we didn't have a lot, but as far as – the, the racing that we did do, we always seemed to be competitive. And at points we sort of, I think at one stage I had nearly 18 months off, just I'd sort of, to be honest, gotten kind of sick of it, uh, sick of trying mm. and and not really getting anything from it other than, you know, naturally I enjoyed it, but it's hard to enjoy it when you feel like you're bashing your head against a wall and, and not getting anywhere. So really to sort of the point with Fleck, mm. we we sort of had a hiatus and and thought, hey, let's give it one last crack and and we came back and, and did a few races and and Fleck, uh, so so Jamie and Lisa, Lisa, um, I, I'd known and my family had known for years mm. uh, as friends and um and they said, hey, we're interested in sponsoring a car and naturally they sort of come to us because of the friendship we had and and yeah. it all sort of worked out and the first night we put their name on the car we won so yeah. um that sort of that season was kind of what or at least was the catalyst for everything that's happening now because, like I say, I'd, I'd had some time off. I'd driven some cars here and there for different people and, and you know, we'd had a little bit of success but naturally driving 
for car owners never quite feels the same as driving your own stuff. And as I say, we just wanted to give it one last crack and we sort of put it all in line and, and it kind of worked out luckily. So um, if, if nothing else at the end of that year, I think we would have had a whole bunch of worn out stuff yeah. and we would have sold it for nothing and, <laughs> and, and just gotten out of it altogether. But um, as I say, luckily things just happen and, and we were lucky enough to come out the other side and we're still racing flat out now. So, yeah. Well, a driver at your caliber, that's actually an interesting question because James McFadden's obviously being promoted with Scott McLaughlin and stuff like that with team owners. Why didn't you want to go down the team owner route though? Was it just there was it just um, a personal preference like kind of like what your dad's done or mate honestly re- I don't know. It's something I I kind of think about a lot when it when it comes to I guess looking back on my career at this point at least is I've never really ventured out to be a, a driver for a team as such. I have to a point I drove for Harry Delamont. That was that was probably the main one. Um yeah. and, and it was pretty good. We won a race and, and had some solid finishes. But it probably only lasted maybe twelve or so months and that was just as Jackson was starting to get going. Yep. Um so I guess realistically that was always the way that Harry and, and the Delamont team was headed. Naturally yeah. Jackson was going to be the driver in time. But I don't know. I, I guess the opportunities never really arose so much. I mean I, as I say, I have driven different people's cars here and there over the years, but um nothing ever just turned into a full-time gig as such, you know, for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you were talking age at the start of the podcast about you, you went to, in, to America in 2017. Can you actually explain like your American life in sprint cars compared from obviously over here to there? So Stu's take is it's better here. My take is because I love World of Outlaws, it's better there. And you've raced both. So what's your take on it all? Um, look, there's certainly good points that we have over here, but, it, you know, like everything, it's kind of bigger and better over there. Yeah. Um, there's just there's more competitors, there's more teams, there's more everything, there's more tracks, there's more spectators. So there's you know there's just a lot more racing, a lot more money uh, per capita. I, I, you know for the size of our country and how many racetracks and teams we have, I think we're on par in in most things. Just that, like I say, over there you can't compete from here with them just purely based on how much time they have in the seat. You know, and that's that's driver to crew guys to the whole outfit. You know, naturally you race three or four times a week or especially in summer, you race three or four times a week. You can't compete with that racing once a fortnight or once a week here, you know, there's, there's, when you look behind the scenes, there's a lot of different facets like, um, you know, just day-to-day running of race meetings are a lot simpler over there. Yeah. Uh, here there's a lot more red tape and, and crap to kind of work through. Like, don't get me wrong. There's, there's good sides to it over here. We typically have a lot higher safety standards for the most part. There's obviously tracks, in the States that are, are at the forefront of safety as far as, you know, their, their fire marshals or track crew or whatever. Um, but over here, just as a basis, we're a lot further in front. Like I say, the biggest thing is probably just how simple it is to go racing over there, and, and it is cheaper. Mm. Uh, I mean, you know, when when all your parts generally are sourced from there, just to get them from one side of the world to the other is obviously a lot more expensive. So, you know, tyres, frames, wings, engine parts, whatever it might be, it's just more expensive by the time you do it here. So like I say, over there, I probably enjoy it more for the fact that it's just simpler to go racing. You just turn up and they don't care who you are. You could end up starting off the front row of a heat race you've never driven a sprint car before, you know. That's um, what Warren said. That's what yeah. he said to us yeah. when he came yeah. on. He's like, it's, yep, you just rock up and off you go. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. But at the same time, I like that because yeah. it's just, you know, there's, there's really no politics at all. Did it mean that you had a lot of just total random showing up there? Um, no, it's yeah. a funny sort of deal. Like as much that, and and not that it's the wrong thing to do, or, or I, I I feel like they shouldn't do it. But there's a lot of people in this country that race just for fun, and and yeah. they're doing it 
because they want to and who wouldn't, you know, uh, if they've got the ability to do it, go and have a crack. But yep. um, over there, it, as much as that, do, as that does happen, it doesn't seem to happen as much. There's more that, you know, the, the, probably the biggest thing I noticed when I went there, at least the first night, I mean, we went to an all-star race for the start of all-star speed week. And the first night we rolled out, you know, we, our car looked brand new because it, it was. And I kind of thought, well, I've, you know, there's obviously a bunch of guys I'd heard of and, and know of because I follow the sport, you know, pretty crazy. Mm. But um, there was a bunch of cars there that I'd never heard of, never seen. They kind of looked pretty shitty. <laughs> and I thought, well, we, you know, we should be pretty solid here. Yeah. And we were like back of the pack. And I'm like, who the hell is this guy? You know, like yeah. we're just getting smoked. But um, um, there's just a lot. There's so much depth over there. Guys, like I say, guys you've never heard of that just go fast. And and it might just be that they're fast in their area, like the same thing, same as everything, you know, they're mm. good at their home track or whatever it might be, but um, there's just so much depth over there. But they can wheel out their cars in America and just go for a practice night, can't they, as well? Or not um, really, or is no, it like here? No, it's, it's much like here that way. I mean, like, again, there's, there's less red tape, um, so it's possibly easier to go and hire a track or whatever you, you might want to do just privately to, to do testing or whatever, but – for the most part, not a lot of them do, mm. um, but they can, in certain areas at least, they can go race Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. So the whole idea of testing is not really required or at least you just don't have time to do it yeah. you know, or can't afford it because, you know, an engine's worn out in a month because you've raced 20 yeah. times. Whereas here, you kind of rely on practice nights a little bit just to, you know, sort out your teething problems and, and get things rolling along, especially at the start of a season, because you can only race generally once a week and until maybe that January period where it's just, you know, hell for leather, you can race a couple of nights a week here and there because there's big races or big events on all over the country, basically. Yeah. Talking about your dad, because we're talking about America, I heard from JV a story, legend has it. This will be good. That's what he was, was going to say. Um, is that he turned up as a crew member, pretty much like um, Teledanger Nights, the NASCAR movie. Yeah. And the the driver at the time just had the shit. So I don't know what yeah. happened. This is just yeah. what he told me. And then your dad go, goes, well, fuck, I can drive. Like what you said, they can just rock up with a helmet and give you the car and go. And apparently, didn't he? He won the night or something like no, that? No, I didn't win. I never oh, won a race over okay. there, so I, I know that. Oh, but, so uh, half of that story is true. Yeah, yeah. You might have <laughs> ran, I, I, ran like second or third, possibly. Yeah. He, he didn't win. I, he, uh, I can't remember the story. I've probably been told it a thousand times naturally, but um, I got a funny feeling he might have led like most of the feature. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. He just, he was crewing for a team and, and the driver basically didn't run any good the night before and sort of just didn't turn up to the next racetrack. And naturally it's the early 80s, so there's no mobile phones or anything like that. So yeah, the, the, the you know, the car owner, uh, who's pretty famous, Bob Trossel, he's dead now, but he's quite a, an infamous sprint car team owner and, and sprint car chassis builder. Dad was crewing for him and, and he said, well, John, you drive, don't you? And he said, yep. And he said, well, have you got your gear with you? He said, yep. So he, so at first it started just engine start yeah. and we'll see when the driver turns up and then it was hot lap. The driver slowed and turned up. So naturally he raced and stayed in the car. I think um, he basically, for the whatever period of time it was that he was there, three or six months or whatever, uh, this, I don't know exactly how the timeline works out, but mm. – they'd already organized that a driver for like the Knoxville nationals time of year and all that kind of thing. So dad stepped aside anyway. So he never got to do the Knoxville nationals, oh, but, bugger. um, but Bob Trossel was, is from, was from Des Moines, mm. um, which is the Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. The, the capital of Iowa. And it's about an hour from Knoxville roughly. And, and that's where he was from. So naturally they were based, you know, weekly at Knoxville typically, unless there was obviously a bigger race somewhere else that they'd 
skive off and do, you know? Yeah, obviously when you have trips just to no- local club meetings these days, does your dad tell you about occasional random stories, what happened in his career every now and then oh, when, yeah. you get, when you get yeah. bored in the trip? Yeah, well, any... that's, that's not even driving down the road. That's just at home in the shed or whatever, you know. But, um, um, look, you've got to have a lot of, lot of stuff to talk about because that's the other thing about racing over there compared to here. Like next weekend we're talking about going to Victoria to go race and it's, you know, 10 hours to get to Avalon on Friday night and another three hours down the track to go to or road to go to Warnable. Yeah. So it's like a, you know, probably a 26 hour drive mm. over the weekend for us to go and race a couple of nights. Whereas over there you can go and race two hours away, three hours away, an hour away. It's again, it's a lot cheaper just based on travel costs. You know, yeah. there's, there's just so many tracks over there that run weekly and, and one track might run weekly on a Friday. One track will run weekly on a Saturday. So you, you've got two nights a week. You can race all the time, but yeah, it's it's um, just one of those things, mate. It's unfortunately we just don't quite have the population to bridge the gap between all the major cities to have racetracks everywhere. Yeah, which is unfortunate because like Oran Park shut down down the road from you guys. Yeah, stuff like that. Another story that I found doing my research is your grandfather raced at the Marubra Velodrome. No, that's that's uh, my that's my great someone in your family. Uh, I just typed in Walsh into Google and great grandfather. all these stories came great up. Great grandfather. Great <laughs> yeah. grandfather. So my dad's grandfather, apparently, so he, I think he was the passenger on a sidecar. Yeah, right. And they used to okay. race, they used to race, they had like a timber track at. Yeah, I've seen old photos of it. Yeah. yeah. It's like something my grandfather did. Because yeah. Dad showed me pictures with the side cart, the ones where you're talking where they actually, the body just leans out. Yeah. There's no, yeah. I thought it was a cart, like a side cart. And then I saw the photos and was just like, Holy shit. And then my dad's like, yeah, that's how he lost all his teeth. He hit a pole doing it. And he goes, that's why he had the falsies in the whole time. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. it's uh, To be honest, I'd never really heard about that until the last few years. And I never met my great-grandfather. But, yeah, um, yeah apparently he raced there back in the day. They obviously had a track there for a, a few years. Uh, reading up on it, I think from memory, it only lasted a short time because it was so hard to keep the maintained. timber maintained. Yeah, okay. Um, and I'm sure there's some stories that I've read about, like, you know, they'd be racing on a Sunday or whatever it was, and there was multiple sightings of snakes at different events and stuff. So I don't know. Yeah. But um, <laughs> all kinds of funny stuff. But, uh, but yeah, so that would have been pretty wild. And I think the track was – it wasn't a small track either. It wasn't like a velodrome that nah. cycles race on now. It, it was like a well, yeah, some what crazy I saw, it was size. Huge. Yeah, it, it was, was like the size of the massive. Olympic Stadium yeah, or something. It was yeah, massive. it was huge. Like I can only imagine, like, it would have been so hard to keep that – track under control as far as just timber warping and and doing what rotting away and doing whatever it does you know but um i guess in those days they didn't care they just went raced on it as much as possible yeah can you actually tell me tell me a bit about like everyone in your because i'd literally as i said on google typed in walsh into google and all these stories came up can you actually explain every person in your family who's actually driven or raced something um so so yeah i guess obviously my great-grandfather raced sidecars then my grandfather raced uh, modifieds or super modifieds that became sprint cars in this country. Mm. Um, and that's how we kind of got on the, the speedway track. Um, then my dad raced sprint cars. Obviously, I raced sprint cars. On my mum's side, her two brother-in-laws, uh, so one's Peter Johnson. Yep. Uh, he raced in his younger days and then later on became a sprint car car owner and, and raced again himself later again. Um, his daughter, Taylor, and his son, Christopher, my cousins, they both – had a stint in sprint cars. Um, my mum's other brother-in-law, Max Davis, he raced for a time in his younger day and then his son, Ryan, again, my cousin, he still races sprint cars now. 
I'm trying to think who else is there. <laughs> it uh, goes on forever. <laughs> I, I literally just thought it was like five people. So it's a whole family tree. So you were literally yeah, embedded well, into motorsports. Yeah, so then, and then on top of that, so my grandmother, my dad's mum, Carol, she, so her and my grandfather, Bob, mm. uh, separated when I was young. Mm. Um, but she remarried David Lander, who yep. owned Parramatta Speedway and, and was also a Speedway racer in like the 70s uh, and then became a Speedway promoter in the 80s, 90s. And, yeah. and only just sold Lismore Speedway a few months ago. Yeah, it's kind of kind of everywhere. Um, I'm sure there's more than that. I, I don't know why. <laughs> I can't remember. But yeah, there's a bunch. And actually, so even there's there's further than that. There's on my grandfather, or my dad's dad's side. I have another second cousin, Ben Singleton, who also also raced go karts. Yeah. Um, from Queensland. Yeah, I remember the name. Um, so he was around, and, and he's basically my age. I think he's either a year younger or. You know, we're basically the same age. So he raced carts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think that's you about can run it. Out of breath I think that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember though your first time as a kid? Because obviously I've just seen in the studio here that my stepdad, I remember going to the track when I was a kid when he was racing his cars. Do you remember your first experience with your dad, like when your first memory as a child going on the speedway or anything or not really? Not really. I, or did your mum kind of keep you away from it? No, no, we are no? always, okay. always around. I mean, obviously speedway – Unfortunately, still has the issue where families can't be involved in the pit area. Yeah, uh, which I'm not a fan of, especially nowadays that I've got a family and a young family. As much as I understand some people's argument that do you really want a five year old in the pit area at a speedway while you're racing? Like it's a pretty hectic area. But I mean, for the for the people that are well involved and know what goes on, um, I feel like we'd be pretty yeah. you know capable of looking after kids in my own period. I don't, I don't think it's something that um, – Meredith is a good mum anyway. She I, yeah, I didn't yeah. realise that happened because kids come around in the tar area all yeah. the time and there's yeah. no questions because we even – like Bart was picking up. He had his kids come and they're just little toddlers, putting yeah. him in cars, you're running he little, around. He had little yeah. Felix playing with my race kit. Yeah. Like, actually, yeah. my yeah. steering wheel – the yeah, best one like was putting him in the radical when he was yeah. pressing the horn. Yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's it. They're all running around. and I didn't realise that there was restrictions in yeah. Speedway. Yeah, so 16, well, 16 is typically the age limit. Mm. But nowadays, because there's a few junior classes mm. and I, I think it's it's brought it down to 12 as long as they're licensed. So, um, But on top, I mean, apart from all that, it just makes it hard for families to go racing mm. because straight away, what are you going to do for the – three hours before the race meeting starts, you're just going to sit in the hill, on the hill in the sun. Yeah. You know, um, and they just don't get that 100% involvement, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, look, that that's one of the downsides to the sport in this country particularly, uh, especially in Sydney. I've got a funny feeling like up Queensland way, maybe up north on a totally different wavelength as far as that rule is concerned. But I, I guess it comes down to, you know, the big thing that they've always said in New South Wales at least is that New South Wales sport and rec control, a lot of that – sort of yeah. stuff. So unfortunately, like I say, they can't really be involved. But as far as, like, again, when I was a kid, uh, so when I was really young, dad mm. raced, but I can't remember. Uh, and then he, again, he sort of had the same thing, just ran out of money and ran out of rides. And Didn't he win the original um, World Series back in when it first I started? I think he won, he won rounds. He didn't win the World Series. Like he had never won the championship, but yeah. he, he did the – inaugural year and I think possibly the second year mm. um, as a as a driver or as a contracted driver or whatever. But um, and one of – I think he – I can't remember exactly how many, maybe three World Series rounds he won in those few years or a couple of years. 
but like I say, and I was sort of around for that, although I was only a, a, a toddler or a baby or whatever. But so the, the time that I can remember, he was kind of already almost washed up. Yeah. So, and then he kind of made a comeback when I was about five or six, and that's when I can start to remember him racing. Um, so it was a bit of a shame I never got to see him earlier. Was that, that at Liverpool or was that at No, so Cara. Liverpool closed in like 88, I think. Yeah. So okay. I don't remember Liverpool, but yeah, really? so I just remember him racing at Parramatta. And yeah. Parramatta and Newcastle. Newcastle was still going. And, and again, like I said before, with America having tracks kind of all over the place, you used to be able to race Newcastle maybe not every Friday night, but it might have mm. ran every, you know, once a month on a Friday night. So you could run Friday night Newcastle, Parramatta Saturday, you know, or vice versa it might have been at the time. But yeah, so that was probably the earliest memory I have of him racing. I possibly do have earlier memories of sprint car racing before that, but obviously very sort of shady, just being at the track and watching cars go around, you know. What I was astonished by is what I was saying to Brooke on the way here is your dad was sponsored by Coca-Cola, which back then was huge because sprint cars back then when your dad was racing was like essentially the V8 supercars. And then the Raymond brothers turned it to supercars. But yeah. does your dad tell you about those stories of when he was sponsored by Coke and just the different era when the Raymond brothers were running it? To so, yeah, obviously they were they were good at what they did, mm. um, promoting. And it actually come from a race that he won the checks the checks somewhere. Oh, you know the the big yeah. fake check anyway. It, it's, it's floating around somewhere, but I, I haven't seen it for a little while now. I think about it, but there's actually a check, and it's he, he won a race that was the Coca Cola so-and-so race, yeah, you know, and, right. and it sort of stemmed from that. And like a lot of sort of situations or scenarios in that sort of uh, that sort of deal, he got, got promised the world and given an atlas type thing. So um, as much as the car looked like they were the ant's pants and they were a massive outfit, yeah. they kind of got nothing from it. I think Coke, in the end, I think they gave him like $1,000 and painted the car, you know, like it was yeah. it was supposed to be a lot more than that and then it just never came to fruition. So. Yeah, that would probably, you know, like I say, when you're involved in motorsport, that sort of thing happens all the time. Mm. But, yeah, it wasn't quite what everyone thought it was, I think, on the outside. Did you ever get any pressure, though, um, becoming like a third, oh, I don't know, not third generation, but it could be like a hundredth generation driver (laughs) um, from yourself, like hopping after, you know, you said said your dad came back after being like a veteran and then retiring and then coming back. Did you ever feel, shit, it's my turn now, will I live up to my dad's expectations or did Um, you just go in? as a race driver and go, oh, you know, fuck it, I'll just see what happens. No, I don't think so. I think um, maybe a little bit at the time. I'm not real sure. I, I think maybe had I've started straight in sprint cars, maybe it might have been a bit different, but I'd been obviously racing for a few years anyway in carts, so mm. it was just I was just going racing again, you know. Uh, I, mean, I know it used to feel a little bit odd when you, you know, obviously you race go-karts and you, you race in front of your yeah. all your mates and, and their families. Yeah. And then I remember just, you know, the first few times push starting out, especially under lights, and you kind of look out to the side and you can kind of see there's people there watching you and you think, well, that's a bit odd, you know. Yeah. That was not that it really affected you, you know, like anything. You kind of, once you concentrate on what you're doing, it, it all sort of falls away. But I know that was probably the only thing that really I noticed to begin with at least um, was just the fact that there was people there actually paying to watch yeah. your race or, you know, not you particularly, but watch the event compared to carts. But um, but no, I, I don't think I've really ever added any pressure from that side. I think most people that are pretty competitive typically put a lot of pressure on themselves anyway, and and I obviously do. So um, Yeah, yeah, I think. Well, <laughs> Brooks witnessed it when I won. Yeah, you all do. Once you're any yeah. athlete, once you're out there well, doing it, it's natural because you it? want it. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. So you, you're kind of 
you know, you can't really add any pressure to that because you're already maxed out, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you worked 15 – You just as you told me before, you worked – I thought you still worked at Rocket, right? But you worked there for 15 years, was just, it? Just shy of 15 years, yeah. 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 And, and it really it was a job that started out as, you know, when I was like 17, 18 – in the in the off season here in winter, I'd try and go to the states and and do something over there, mm. um, revolving around sprint car racing. And then so I came back one year and and at the time Matt Young, who worked at Rocket and ran the Speedway division, just rang. I think I might have gone there and bought some parts or whatever. And mm. and he said, Hey, do you want a job for the summer, sort of thing, you know? And I said, Oh yeah. Mm. And uh, he said, It'll save you flipping burgers at Macca's until you, <laughs> you know you yeah. typically go to America next or whatever. And um, and I just never went back. Well, I never really went back to America after that. I just stayed home for the most part, and and um, and ended up staying there for nearly fifteen years. So, yeah. were you and Benny Atkinson teammates though, or was it just completely separate deals? Completely I was very, separate very, deal. Because I was confused. Because obviously you're doing promos together and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. No, it was two totally. So essentially, it was just the outfits that we'd already been running, mm. and and the Rocket Neuroflow were branded on them. So. Um, Look, to be fair, prior to that, I, I, you know, I could walk past Ben and say good day, and that was about it. But uh, now he's probably one of the one of the best people in the sport that I know. You know, yeah. um, his son's gone right, eh? Hey? Yeah, BJ's he's he's a gasser. Yeah. Well, so was his dad, or yeah. is his dad? Um, I mean, I've, I kind of wish, and I sort of feel like I've had a part in in Ben's somewhat retirement. I don't know if to call it retirement yet or not, but yeah, made his hang up his helmet. Yeah, but I'd, I'd hope I'd hope he's gonna be back in the car. But obviously I, I can see that, you know, BJ's of the age where he's starting to get rolling too. So it's just a decision he has to make, I suppose. And and look, at the same time, Ben's Ben's a gun. So I'm sure there's offers there. And and look, sometimes the offers just aren't what you need or or or, or what you think fits at the time. So hopefully he's back in a car again. Um, but at the same time, obviously BJ's worth uh, putting his time into as well. Mm. Um, I mean, he's proven that naturally recently, like he won the last round up at, uh, at Darwin for the chariot series and, um, and, and he beat basically all the, the best guys in the country. So like I say, that I, I can see Ben's kind of predicament in, do I keep racing or do I just channel everything into BJ? Yeah. And with that stuff though, I think between you and Ben, who was so you didn't you didn't did you have the same chassis though or anything or not? Uh, for a very short amount of time we did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, basically, nothing was the same as such. I mean, we we obviously helped each other out at points, you know. And the thing is with sprint cars, and I guess like anything, naturally, whether you've got a J and J or a Maxim or whatever chassis it is, you know, everyone's still racing on the same track. So a lot of the stuff does relate, even though you've got different cars as such. Um, a lot of it's kind of rule of thumb, but so we, we talk a lot about all kinds of stuff, but no, we were two separate teams, two yeah. separate teams, two separate outfits. Uh, like I say, it was basically just our outfit and his outfit yeah. got, got branded with rocket and aeroflow. Well, you two as well, like, I think oh, this is what I'm trying to think of. Toby Bell Bowen did Sprinker Hub with yourself and with Benny J Jr. And, what was that like having Toby, an ex-sprint car driver, following you around? And what do you think of his, his sprint car hub anyway? I think it's excellent. I, I mean, the sport kind of lacks that kind of media. Uh, Presence? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And 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 that that kind of insight background, mm. um, there's no one really doing it, especially in this country. I mean, there's a little bit of it in the States, maybe not not to the sort of style that, that Toby's doing it though. And obviously his insight with his knowledge and 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 passion for it I guess it's something that he's kind of fallen into and, and did 
to start with just for a bit of fun, but because he's so passionate about it and, and knowledgeable, it, it's coming off that way on the camera and and, and people enjoy it. So yeah. uh, I think it's an excellent thing he's doing for the sport. And I, I mean, it, it's actually, it'd be, it's funny now to think about if he wasn't doing it, you know, like I, I feel like it, it's, he's at home doing it, you know, and, and sadly it's because he can't race himself anymore. Yeah. But um, I guess there's a good thing that come of that. And that's the fact that he's pushing sprint cars into, into the, I guess the forefront of, of people's eyes that way. Yeah, and Roddy's obviously done. We were talking outside, done done you and Brett's car. Yeah, he's also obviously also retired, but he also he he helps out a lot of the spur community as well. Yeah, yeah, and with that deal, like as you were saying to me outside, those literally you and Brett's car were black, and you didn't really care about what the design was. You just drew it on a piece of paper or something, didn't you? Well, we just didn't know. Yeah. Um, like I mean, so we were we were scheduled to race the first night at Eastern Creek this coming Saturday as such, or, mm. you know, a week out from the Saturday and we still really didn't know what the cars were going to look like. And it was only that, I mean, I already talked to Roddy and said, Hey, we're going to have some stuff for you to do here shortly, but I don't yeah. know what it's going to be. Yeah. And, uh, and he, and he sort of said, yeah, okay, no worries. Let me know when you're ready. And by the time we were ready, it was like, it's too late. Like I haven't got enough time. Like basically you better tell me exactly what you want or yeah, it's just not going to happen. So, um, we yeah basically just jotted a, a rough design down on paper and he just kind of sparkled it up a little bit and as much as he could in the time frame and and sign wrote a car a car only yeah. and um and we we literally we were supposed to run Eastern Creek on the Saturday it washed out and we made a last minute call to drive to Queensland and so we literally left in the truck went straight to Roddy's picked the race car up put a few things back on it obviously just mm. to make it easier to sign right we take a few things off. Um, bolted those on in the car park, pushed the car back in the truck and drove to Queensland and raced. Yeah, What's it like though? We were touching on Brett before, him as a teammate and him racing, you know, obviously the tar racing stuff. But obviously now he's. it seems to me that he's more enthused in racing sprint cars than actual GTs and stuff. Like, um, what's it like having him? Did you give him like a – was it the spare car that you gave him to learn in and, or has he still got that car? Like what's the deal now? So so it, it sort of started – during COVID, we obviously didn't have anything to do. We couldn't race or anything. So mm. we spent a lot of time going to the MX Dome at Eastern Creek, just a lot of the old Carter boys. Yeah. You uh, guys do that every Thursday. We used to, yeah. yeah kind of, okay. It's kind of gone quiet now, especially because racing's back yeah. and, and everything else is back. Like at one point there, there was just so little to do. It was like, oh, well, I guess we'll go motorbike riding every Thursday, you know? Yeah. Um, and I guess it was better than going to the pub or, or a little bit less alcohol involved or something. I don't know. But um, <laughs> So we went riding and, and, and Brett had come and after – few nights we started talking and, and he sort of mentioned a couple of times that he wanted to have a go and, and he has driven before mm. a long time ago and had a, a go. Was this when he raced supercars then that doubled in sprint cars or something? Possibly could have even been before he even went supercar racing, you know, yeah, like okay. it might've been around his sort of formula Ford days or somewhere around there. It was just a one-off. It was yeah. just a one-off. Like when I say a one-off wasn't even an event, it was just like literally one lot of 10 laps or something, you know? Yeah. And he said he wanted to have a crack. And so we sort of did a deal where he leased just my old car and um, he raced probably three or four races in it last season, which mm. was a pretty abbreviated season anyway with everything that was still going on COVID-wise. Everything was so broken apart and the, the opening of the new track and all that kind of thing kind of um, didn't allow a lot of racing. But he had a few goes and, and enjoyed it and decided, hey, I want to get involved. So he's bought another car mm. and that's the car he's actually been running lately. He's got my old car as well, which is okay. kind of the backup. 
and thankfully we took it to Toowoomba for him as a spare the other week because I crashed my car and I ended up jumping in it. Yeah, I noticed that. Um, I saw that. But um, that was a yeah, bit of a dud move by me, crashing my <laughs> car and uh, qualifying. But anyway, yeah. Um, but like I say, it, luckily you took it because I ended up needing it more than he did. <laughs> but um, um, so, yeah, look, it's – yeah, just a kind of snowballed from really nowhere, just a conversation, you know. Um, and like I say, I think to the point where if he's enjoying it more than the GT stuff, I don't know if he enjoys it more. I think he enjoys the side of it that it's fresh and new and different and, yeah. a, and, a, and a major challenge. Like not that the GT stuff's not challenging, obviously, but mm. just the challenge of, hey, I've got to learn this from scratch almost, you know. It's yeah. not, not no, obviously nowhere near his comfort zone. It's, it's something totally different. Mm. Um, I think he's enjoying that and – I think like anything for the first few times you dip your toes in the water, you kind of think, okay, this is fun. This is fun. This is fun. Then it gets to a point where you go, hang on, maybe I'm not good enough or, or is this, am I going to be good enough? Or I don't feel like I'm getting there quick enough. And you sort of doubt yourself. But then I think in the last couple of weeks again, or at least in the last, yeah, probably, um, you know, Eastern Creek. Well, actually every race this year, to be honest, I think he's jumped another level every night. And I think he's starting to, become more competitive and he's and he's sort of mixing into the crowd more yeah. and he's starting to feel like, hey, I can do this, you know. Yeah. Has he has he ever told you to have like maybe a switcheroo where, where you have a go on the GT no, car or not? No. Well, no, no. no. That'd be nice. That be doesn't nice. come apart. No, <laughs> no unfortunately, uh, unfortunately not. I, I, I don't know if I've got the checkbook for that. Yeah. But um, it'd be cool. I mean, I'd, I'd always love to do some road racing stuff. Yeah. Um, just naturally the family's – Involvement in Speedway made it an easy sort of path to go down and, and knowledge about it. Um, it made it an easy decision to go that way. And it's, it is cheaper, naturally, mm. than, than at least some of the, obviously, well, a lot of the road racing classes. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's some that are more affordable, but to go down the Speedway path, it's just a fairly inexpensive sport comparatively to some of the other ones, like obviously GT and, and supercars, naturally, and even Formula Ford, you know. Um, yeah. It's just so expensive in the road racing side that, we just never really could go that way. And you and your family live up the road from Dave Moray. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we we only met him when when we moved there. I'm trying to think. I don't know who introduced me or, or told me to, you know, I must have had something to machine up or, or something. And, yeah. and they said, hey, Dave Moore lives down the road. And um, yeah, I've obviously known him for a few years now. And, and he's a really cool dude, you know. And obviously met Bart. And, and yeah. I'd always, always heard or, or known of, of, Bart's name. Yeah. But, oh, so you um, never got to race Bart. No, no, no. I guess, again, he's probably just that few years older. Yeah. So I sort of missed him that way. But um, but I'd always knew of him and 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 knew the name. And, and obviously, you know, when you're involved in any kind of car racing or whatever it might be, you always, even if it's not your main interest, you're always semi-interested in all other forms of racing. And so you see his name pop up here and there in different things when you keep an eye on, you know, something on TV or if you go to the races one weekend at Eastern Creek or something, you know, you, you just knew his name. And um, so, yeah, it was pretty pretty coincidental that we just happened to move two minutes down the road. Yeah. What do you think of the um, the Speedway, as you said at the start of the podcast, the, the tie situation here, um, how's that going to work out for the season? Because obviously there's a lot of cars wanting to race. So are you guys having to actually tie manage per meet? How's that How's that all working out? At this point, yeah, so it's a, it's a pretty big concern. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think the biggest worry is heading into Christmas time when there is a lot of racing on. Yeah. It's it's kind of a worry that there's going to be a lot of cars wanting tyres and a lot of races and, and generally that time of year the tracks are harder on tyres because the tracks are drier. 
There's that Chinese tire available, but that's not allowed rate to race or something like that. I don't know. There's yeah, so I read the, a lot of things. So. Yeah, so there's a Dirt X tire that's just come about. Uh, you're not allowed to use it at Eastern Creek, at least at this point. Mm. Um, I, I think I don't know exactly. Like so, a lot of cl- uh, clubs or, or tracks will have their own tire rules. So uh, Eastern Creek, you can run an American race or a Hoosier. It doesn't matter, but. Uh, yep. For instance, you go to Victoria, if you run the SRA series down there, you've got to use a who's your right rear. You can't use an American racer. So a lot of the places stipulate what you can and can't use. So I don't know exactly where or if there are anywhere or any places that you can use the Dirt X mm. tyre yet uh, on a sprint car. I know they're being used on like wingless cars and things like that. But, yeah, the tyre situation is pretty dire. Yep. And I feel like we haven't really – I mean, we're, we're feeling the brunt of it now because there basically hasn't been any around for the last couple of weeks. So really our, our tyre management deal is just we're just getting everything out of the tyres we've got because, well, I, as I say, we just can't get any more. So yeah. um, I, I think that kind of opens up here in the next couple of weeks. I think Hoosier and American Racer are supposed to get shipments in, but it seems like as soon as they come in, they're all gone again. So it's, it's you know, the, the cycle's not catching up on itself. We're, we're, yeah. we're not getting into a point where there's just a, a good supply of tyres. So essentially you need – you got all – Spring cars need two shipments instead of one. Yeah, that's, whatever that's so it is, we need to double behind. it. And I think it's not so much that they're not ordering it. I, I just think that the manufacturers can't supply it or at least keep up with demand. And, you know, like I say, two or three months ago, the States was in a really bad patch where there was races being cancelled because there just wasn't any tyres in the area. Certain clubs and certain series at this point are trying to help with their formats. Like they might be dropping a round of heat, so you only got one set of heats rather than two just to try and limit the tyre wear. Yeah. Um, but then there's other tracks that are, are racing as normal. I don't know how much it's going to help or not, really. It just depends on on how much comes in realistically. And, and the worst thing about it is with sprint cars, you know, I guess in road racing in some cases, and I might be wrong, but you could kind of almost pre-plan how many tyres you're going to use, you know. You know mm. you've got one set for the weekend or another set to practice on or whatever, and you know – that set of tyres will get you through the weekend, but you're going to need a new set for the week after. Whereas a Speedway, you can go race at Eastern Creek on this Saturday mm. and you'll put a brand new tyre on and you'll finish the whole night and the tyre still looks brand new. Yeah. You go back there the next week, you go out and qualify and destroy it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it. It can be so one side of the spectrum to the other, like as far as how the tyre wear is, um, that it only takes a few races here or there where it's bad on tyres and all of a sudden the tyre supply is extremely limited. And this has happened over the years a number of times, but it's generally been that the stock levels are high enough that it, you know, overcomes it. But right now, we just can't kind of afford that. Yeah. Do you do you ever think that? Um, I was talking to Brooke off off air about sprint cars and how how the world with TikTok and all those apps these days want quick, fast racing. Do you ever see sprint cars ever going back on national TV, being a summer type of cricket deal, or do you think? that the community is just going to stay the way it is? Because obviously I've had multiple personalities on this podcast saying it should be doing this, it should be doing that. What's your take on it being like a front-running driver? I think the biggest thing, and as much as we talked about the States, how everything's easy and good and all that sort of stuff over there, one of their big things as far as broadcasting-wise, I feel like even as an avid supporter of sprint car racing, I feel like one of the big downsides to the Ward of Outlaws, um, at least live stream, is the work area. Because yeah. it just it just delays the race so yeah, much okay. longer than what it should be. Like, um, you know, there, there can be races that realistically, like I said before, a sprint car race might only go for eight minutes, mm. but it takes half an hour because 
there's 22 minutes of someone parked in the pits changing a wing or changing a tyre. And as much as that's all good in road racing because the race is still going on around it. Yeah. Whereas in Speedway, the whole race stops and there's someone in the work area for two to five minutes or whatever it is. And it's cool to watch. Yeah, cool, because there's one team helping this team and everyone kind of chips in. And, and that, look, the camaraderie is great and all that kind of thing. But I just feel like as far as a spectacle is concerned and, and a, a short, sharp show, it just takes away from the, the race, I feel. And I think to that point over here, particularly with a lot of our tracks, they run too many divisions on one night. Like tomorrow, for instance, we'll get we'll have to get to the racetrack at one or two two o'clock in the afternoon or something, and we probably won't stop start racing until four or five. And, and in a lot of forms of motorsport, that's probably not a lot of time to wait around. Yeah. But in sprint car or speedway terms, it's like an eternity because you're so sort of hell bent on, you know, you turn up, you roll your car out, you do your little bit of prep, which isn't much for mm. a sprint car. You know, you if the car doesn't roll out of the truck ready to race, I feel like you shouldn't be there. Yeah. Um, you know, you race for a couple of hours basically and you pack up and go home uh, or, or do whatever you need to do, go to the next track or whatever it is. But um, the race meetings are becoming so much longer and they're filled with so many other divisions and support classes that I don't know if they could do it. Do you think they should su- shorten some of the support classes and move them to their own night, which they're kind of doing, yeah, to I give you guys so. a bit of time? Because yeah. literally, Brooke and myself going out there tomorrow night literally to watch you and the other guys. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're the show. So that's well, what yeah, we that's watch. right. Exactly. And look, take take nothing away from the other divisions. Yeah. Um, there's other divisions that are, are on their night are the draw card, for sure. Yeah. Um, that's what I'm thinking. But I feel like you like could have sprint cars, speed cars, and you could have one late models. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and then the, the yeah. undercut, like I feel two like or three undercards. The late, well, see, even so, what happens is even if you put on like an event, so they did that at, at Sydney or Parramatta a few years ago where they had the um, ultimate speedway challenge or whatever they called it. Yeah. And it was ultimate midgets. Sprint cars. Sprint, no, it was oh. the ultimate speedway. So it was sprint cars, midgets, and late models. Oh, yeah, so I the, remember sort that. Sort of the three, four front yep. speedway classes all on one night. The problem was when they they did qualifying heats pole shuffles or shootouts or whatever and then the features it still was a long night because yeah. there was no support division that ran a 15 lap main they all ran 30 lap mains they all had b mains and because there was good money on the on offer for every class they had good car counts yeah so the night became a long night again wasn't everyone doubling up on cars too like that was the idea that was the idea i think there was uh there was bonuses like if you could i'm trying to think what it was if you could win maybe i think if you won two classes you got like a five grand bonus and if you won like three classes on the night you get like a 50 grand bonus i don't even know if that's right but it was something along those lines yeah 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 Yeah, right well um did you ever actually think of obviously starting like a school like robbie far or anything like touching robbie far or not really not really i mean i i don't i mean i don't think i've been around long enough like uh and i don't mean that as in Robbie's old or anything, but Robert's been there, done that with virtually everything and been around for a long time. And particularly at the time, I think it worked with, teamed up with Nick Speed, who's arguably the best current crew chief in the country, uh, possibly. With the two of them together, Hmm. you know, you had one guy there to to teach you certain things about aspects of driving and then the other was everything on the car side. So it was a good good dynamic. I've never really looked at it. Again, like I say, uh, you know, Robert's won World Series, the classic uh, Australian titles in sprint cars, midgets, you know, done everything. I've never. So you couldn't see yourself doing something like that? I don't think so. I mean, look, I don't know. You never know. I, I just th- thought that based off like, you know, you with Brett and you obviously being like a, you know, one of the top guys in the paddock helping the other guys through. Yeah. It, obviously it comes down again, money and. Yeah. And I think just time and, and, and the ability to do it. I mean, look, you never say never, but 
at this point, probably not. I mean, it's it's. I think I've got enough on my plate just going to work and looking after family and 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 doing all that sort of thing as as well as racing. And then, um, and now we're sort of basically running two cars as such. There's a lot. A lot of stuff to get turned around on a week-to-week basis. As much as I said before, it's great in America. You can race Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. Even racing once a week, there's still a lot of work in between just preparing cars and, and turning things around, you know. Yeah. Well, Sam, to end this podcast, I've got the Fast Five, which is a game show. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I don't know if you've listened to a few of the episodes, but it's a game show. It's five questions. Um, Brooke's gone for this questionnaire this week. As anyone who's been listening up until now knows that Dan's had some pretty like outrageous questions that he's been asking people that yeah, you know right. no one could even get near. Yeah. I went and pulled together one. This is all like trivia for just random sprint cars. Oh, it's just sprint cars. Yeah, sprint okay. cars. In Australia, in the US, we've okay. aimed this at. They, okay. you know, they might they're not easy. But so it, just so you feel better, I tested this on Dan. Yeah. He always raves about his trivia. He failed the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, didn't I get No, I'm like, no, you didn't. So now I'm getting put to the test. Yeah, um, yeah so Dan's going to ask you five questions. Yep. You get three out of five. You get the good prize. Okay. There is a bonus question, so you can always up your score by one. Right, okay. Um, and otherwise Dan's got, you know, bogey prizes back there. Right, okay. Yeah. Yep. So the first one is, what would of Outlaws driver has competed in the Indy 500 and won an IROC race in NASCAR. Ah, uh, Steve Kinzer. Oh, bingo. That's first. I knew he was going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they fit him in, a, in an yeah. car. I, I know. know. He's so busy. <laughs> yeah, his shoulders. They must have had to like made the make the cockpit wider or something. I don't know. Yeah, well, Michaela's dating Craig, eh? Yes. Yeah. 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 They, they've been together for quite a while now, actually. Yeah. I think about it probably, yeah, a few years. Yeah. All right. Here's the next question. Question number two. What year was the first official speed car or midget car Ever event ever hold, held in Australia? Oh God, I got no idea. Midgets are kind of a. <laughs> I know. Um, <sighs> just throw a stab at it. It's you, one, I don't know. Nineteen twenty-seven. You didn't do bad. Didn't though. do too bad though. I, I know it's pretty old. Can you at least guess that where it was at? No. So you broke it hard. This yeah, yeah, but you went, you, you guessed like I don't know. You went to like nineteen fifty. I thought nineteen twenty seven was close. That's it was nineteen thirty four at 34. Melbourne Olympic Park. Oh really? You know what? I knew it wasn't in Sydney. I was going to okay. say Queen. I was going to say Brisbane for some reason. All right. Well, it's all right. But, You're up one anyway. <laughs> okay. You might know this one because of your family background and because of your dad. Uh, who invented the sprint car bonus for the year? Who invented the sprint car? Yeah. God, I got no idea. Uh, well, so. I mean, At least the year you you you'll pass if you get this one. Well, so there's there's sort of two sides to the coin on this, whether there's sprint cars in Australia and sprint cars in America. Now, uh, sprint cars well, in America, 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 America. Okay, America have been around for a one. long time. Yeah. yeah. Um, I still don't know. Maybe <laughs> like. <laughs> yes. Maybe yeah, I don't like feel so bad. Nineteen. Oh. 50. Oh, close. Oh, are we? Sam's going really yeah, well. Yeah, I was like, you're close. That was Holy 1958 shit. by Jim okay. um, Cushman. Right. I, that name actually rings a bell now that you say yeah. it. Yep. He Not, did it in, yeah. Hawaii, in, in Ohio at the oh, Columbus Motor I you, Speedway. I thought you were going to say Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> he 19, was bored. <laughs> 1958. I reckon, I reckon yeah, right. Sam will get this next one. Who is the nickname the Hurricane in the World of Outlaws or did? Previously, Randy, Har- uh, Randy Hannigan. Yep. Damn it. He's got, oh, I'm not saying damn it. It's actually really impressive. So, <laughs> You're just sad you didn't get it. <laughs> I'm just sad that I didn't get it. Yeah. Um, how many questions has he got now? Two. 
two. Two, we've got one end, more. you got one more one and more. you get a good prize. This is your one make more. or break. Yeah. <laughs> this is it. All hinges on this. Yeah. When when and where was the first ever World Series sprint car meeting held in Australia? I, I, again, I don't know. Um, <sighs> when? 1980. Oh, close. We're getting close now. Um, Around when we were all born. I know. I know. That's what I'm trying to say. 80. I know I'm going to get it wrong, whatever I say. Uh, uh, 80. Seven. Yes. Oh, wow. Yep. Wow. Um, So the first season was 87, 88. Yep. Oh, and by the way, you talked about this off the podcast where, where Sprint Cars is big. Just giving you a bit of a right. yeah. Claremont. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yes Claremont Speedway, wow. Perth, everyone. <laughs> wow. wow, Sam Walsh. Yeah, right, okay. You've well, come- I wouldn't have guessed that if you hadn't given me the hint. <laughs> <laughs> I, gave, I gave you that because you guessed 87, by yeah, the way. Right. So I, okay. pushed, I pushed you yeah. along after so what's that. what's the yeah. prize, Dan? The prize is, I was going to give you a, a shocking prize. <laughs> I was ready to give you a shocking prize, but. Um, <laughs> You're so excited for that. Yeah, I don't. Should, do, you want to, do you want me to get you something for your kids? Because they would get it all for you. Oh, you what don't mind. Mean, I don't surprise, know. surprise, Whatever Dan. Surprise is. What has he got down there, everybody? There you go. Do you remember these, Sammy? Oh, yeah. Fairy friends for yes. little kids. Yes. They've there been making go. a comeback the kids will in like store. That. Yeah. Actually, one of the boys, I'm sure I saw the boys with one the other day. Oh, really? Well, what's, there you go. What's that Thanks, tape mate. attached to it? Oh, I don't know. It's from the set. <laughs> so you get it. It's a masking tape. <laughs> I was uh, like, what is that? <laughs> if I'm doing any painting anytime soon, I'll keep it handy. Sam's <laughs> <laughs> more interested in the tape. <laughs> Thanks for the tape. <laughs> but um, yeah, Walshy, I'm really pleased that you came on the podcast. And Thanks, man. Honestly, cool. you were from. The, originally, when I started this podcast, you're one of the most requested drivers to yeah, come right. on. Well, that's pretty uh, astonishing. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, cool to talk, man. Yeah, cheers. And I'm really pumped to come out tomorrow night and watch you win. Yeah, yeah we're both hope excited. So. Hope so. Yeah. No yeah. dramas this week. Yeah. I think the last few have either part failure, tyre failure, or run over something on the racetrack, or driver failure. So if we don't have any of those three, we should have a shot, I think. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Before we go on this podcast, I've got to ask, what's the – because you said you've got a huge family. What's the family Christmas like for the Walsh family? Oh, it's all over the place. Is so it? So from ever since I can remember, it's been travel from here to there, from one side of Sydney to the other. If it's not in Sydney or in Melbourne or somewhere totally different. But, um, yeah, it's always been a bit of a nightmare, to be honest, because, you, you know – you got to go visit these and these and these and, you know, all these different oh, sides of the family. And oh, so you travel everywhere. You don't yeah, actually go to one. Yeah, it's not all one. Well, because everyone's – I shouldn't say that, but every, not everyone's yeah. divorced, but, you know, <laughs> that, that happens. So straight away you kind of split things up and, and um, yeah, you're always going from one place to another to, to go and see the other side. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's elongated yeah. that way. Cool. Well, <laughs> cheers, Sammy. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. No worries. Thanks. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of On the Couch with Hooli. Make sure to subscribe to our show so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. And to help us grow, please leave a rating or review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. For extra content, check out our YouTube and social channels. You can find all the links in the show notes. See you next week.